This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 94. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com. Your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co host, the guy who's been making fun of me the whole time, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's up, Brandon? Not much. Today's show, we just got done recording it. We're doing our intro later. Today's show is probably one of the funniest ones we've ever done. Like, I was cracking up on this show. Yeah. Mostly at your expense. Yeah, mostly because <laughs> you're like a crazy, weird stalker who hangs outside people's windows. But yeah, okay. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. People will like that. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> That's how we roll. All right. Today, yeah, today's show is awesome. Uh, we're going to cover uh, a ton of stuff about a uh, little bit about flipping, a little bit about landlording, a little bit about property management, a uh, little bit about everything uh, from a guy named Michael. You guys are going to love it. So uh, before we get to that, we should do today's quick. Oh, quick. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> clearly disorganized. By the uh, way, clearly. again, once again, guys, I've got Brandon in town and we're recording this show and look, there there I am. There he is. We're in the same room. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. I really don't like him that close to me. It's kind of odd and awkward. So if there's any kind of weird sound stuff, uh, we, we've been, we've been trying to manage it, but, uh, apologies in advance, but, uh, yeah, so uh, you know, uh, can I do, can I do the quick tip? Are you gonna stop oh, talking? Oh, you know, I I just kind of <laughs> wow. Woo. If you're a listener, I apologize. Wow, that sounded so insincere. Our listeners deserve better than that. <laughs> All right, today's quick tip is uh, I don't know. What should our quick tip today be? A way to be prepared. Would, here's our quick tip. Here's our quick tip. Honestly, here's our quick tip. Our quick tip. If you have a quick tip. Uh, we want to start doing some more variety in them. I want you to tweet them to at bigger pockets. So tweet your quick tip to us. That way you have to be within a hundred. Well, use a hashtag quick tip. You could do that too. Yeah. Hashtag quick tip and at mention us bigger pockets and put your quick tip. Not that complicated. Do you not know how to use Twitter? Yeah. But then you got, you got 140 characters minus at bigger pockets minus at quick tip. Now you got like a 12 character quick tip. Whatever. Quick tip is going to be like smile. <laughs> All right, way to go! Way to go with the quick tip. That was awesome. Nicely, All right, moving on. All right, Brandon, that was fantastic. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature: proof of income verification. And get this: with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments, and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. 
Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. All right. All right. Well, let's bring in our guest today. Our guest today is Michael Sakurka. I hope I'm saying his last name right. I think you got it. Okay, good. Uh, Michael is, like I said, he's a does a little landlording, little flipping, little a lot of stuff, and he is a very bright and very funny guy. So I think you guys are going to love this show. Awesome. Little lot of stuff. Way to, way to put it. Way little to put lot it. Of- Mr. Michael, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Josh. Great to be here. Indeed. Indeed, it is great to be here. Michael, we are, uh, we're excited to talk to you today. You know, I've seen you around the site quite a bit over the... Uh, you know, the last few months, we've kind of That's interacted creepy. a little bit. A little creepy. I, I don't like stalk him. I mean, I sit outside his bedroom window sometimes, but that's just because he likes to listen to my guitar, right? Wow. <laughs> Let's take this somewhere else. <laughs> All right. Keep an eye on Brandon's cats for him from time they, to time. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. How, how did you get involved in this uh, crazy little thing we call real estate? Well, uh, I, I got the bug back when I was in college. Um, you know, I, I always... I, it was kind of uh, in 07, 08, back when real estate was the thing to do. Um, and, and I really had an interest in it. I tried to talk my dad into buying a, uh, a house for me and some buddies to rent out, something we could fix up. Um, and, and no go, couldn't, couldn't talk him into it. So I went out and started looking at houses on my own and uh, was, was pretty close to pulling the trigger on a couple places. Thankfully, I didn't end up, uh, didn't end up purchasing anything in college, but, uh, but I had that itch. And, and as soon as I graduated, that was my, my goal from day one was to get my own property, whether it be a, a fix and flip or a rental or something and, and just get involved. So it took about six months after, after I graduated and bought my first home, owner occupied, live in fix and flip. I think Brandon, you mentioned that's how you, you got started as well. Yep. And uh, just kind of never looked back from there. Hey, you said, thankfully, thankfully when, when in college, you did not get to buy any property. I, I just want to hear about that. Why, why thankfully? Yeah. So when I was in college, it was like I mentioned before, I was right at the precipice of the, the oh, okay. real estate boom. So had, uh, had I talked my dad into something, I think we'd be probably just about now crossing over into, into positive equity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. So 
So I don't think he would have uh, would have bit too hard on that, and probably wouldn't be too happy with me. I thought there was more of a story there. I was I was looking forward to hearing some fun. I, w- I wish there was, but no, that was it. Oh man! All right, so you go, you buy this first house to live in and flip. How long did it take for that to happen? And was that the intent when you purchased it? Yeah, so I purchased the house uh, to live in and to remodel. So I bought a a big time fixer upper, and uh, I bought it wrong. I paid way too much money for it. I was too excited to buy it. But I'm, you know, I moved in that on, on the day of closing, I went and ripped all the carpet out, just started, you know, destroying the place. It took me about three or four months to get it livable. And by livable, I mean the, uh, the microwave worked and the, the TV was hooked up. That's all uh, you need. I mean, yeah. So you, you're a bachelor at the time. Yeah. Bachelor at the well, time. Oh yeah. What else? By myself. Microwave. Yeah, sleep on the floor. Ramen. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. all good. So had a, had a nice, uh, semi-finished basement with the, with the tack down, uh, ceramic floors that we could just spill beer all over and it was great. <laughs> so, uh, after that first, uh, three month stint of really just going at it pretty much every day, once that TV went in, I kind of slowed down and, uh, it probably took me a good year and a half to two years total, uh, from, from when I bought it to when I was really done. So I think it sounds like you're saying you got comfortable, right? So you were in there, your intent was to flip it. The TV came in, suddenly you could kind of sit back and enjoy where you were. You were a little too comfortable and you weren't motivated, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so for those people who are thinking about a live and flip, you know, no carpet, you know, mattress <laughs> on the floor, you, you know, don't, don't clean the place up well until the very end, right? Live, live Spartan. Is that kind of the advice that you've got? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to say I learned from that, but I'm, I'm kind of going through another live in flip right now. And we kind of knocked out the, the bedroom was, was a big milestone and, and we kind of pushed the rest of it off just cause <laughs> we got, we got that piece done. That's good enough. My so, wife and I are we're yeah, doing the exact same thing right now. Yeah. Once you get comfortable and, and you you got to make sure that you, when you reach that milestone, you keep pushing on because uh, yeah. if you get if you settle down, even if it's for a week or say, ah, I, you know, I deserve a reward. Let me take a break. It You get derailed. Yep. Yeah. You know, I always find that, you know, on my property, you know, I, I put in, I don't know, uh, three months worth of work when we moved into our house. Like, and I knew it needed a lot of work. So I bought a foreclosure and put in. Yeah, I don't know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of work, and then I got like ninety five percent done, right? And then like the last five percent, I probably, in, a, in all honesty, won't finish till the day I move out, right? And it's like yep. sad, like yep. why not just finish it, and then my wife can enjoy, and we can enjoy living in a house that's done. But say like my railings, like I would replace all the banisters, and then like I stopped about halfway up, <laughs> so like. <laughs> If I had little kids, they'd just like fall down and like not make it. You know, so like, <laughs> but the cats can jump down now, so it's all good. Oh yeah, man, that's, that's great. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, so, so anyway. well, I, I was going to say, so you've done these live and flips. What is your focus? What has your focus been? I mean, do you do pretty much all strategies? What do you do? So I started out uh, primarily looking to to rehab, to flip. Um, that that first house was where I got going. Um, from there, I, I partnered up with a couple of folks. Uh, friends of mine from work on other flips. And somewhere along the way, uh, one of my earlier properties was a fourplex, a live-in flip fourplex. And I started seeing the merit of having that cash coming in every month as opposed to you know, waiting for that big payday um, with a fix and flip. And uh, it, at some point, probably about two or three years ago, I really switched directions from trying to flip houses and to acquiring long-term uh, buy and hold properties. Nice, nice. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious about the partnering with friends from work. That always seems like a little possibly nervous to, to be kind of 
you know, getting in bed with with those colleagues. Hey, Josh, uh, you want to want to flip a house together? Not a chance in hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a great question. There's two separate folks that I partnered with on different deals. I'll say I was the primary motivator behind the whole thing in both cases. Um, I kind of I was the one with the drive and the and the hey, we're going to go do this. Um, and, and they were like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll tag along for this. So. In my situation, both of them, I would say, were successful from a dollars standpoint, but very unsuccessful from a, from just my personal relationships. well-being. Yeah, the, the relationships probably didn't suffer nearly as much as, as many partnerships do. I'm still great friends with, with both of those folks today, but uh, I learned a lot of lessons. And, and the biggest one that I took away from it, um, which I employ in partnerships that I'm involved in today is to really define what each person's role is going to be and how they're going to be compensated for their involvement and, and who brings what to the table. Yeah. So what did the deal look like? I mean, what did the original partnerships look like? And clearly there was some stress that was created because of it. So it sounds like you guys kind of put it all together and you're like, hey, yeah, you give 30%, you give 30%, I'll do 30%, 33, 33, 33. And, and you know, let's let's do this. And that was it, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was very unorganized. Um, the, the deal looked like this. Uh, you, you put in half the money and do half the work and I'll put in half the money and do half the work and we'll split half the, you know, cut the profits down the middle and everybody's happy. Why doesn't that work? Well, um, how, how do you make half of a phone call? How, you know, how do just you just ask Brandon <laughs> besides a, besides a podcast on Skype? Uh, I, I don't think you guys meet contractors through Skype and, uh, <laughs> it's, you, you really can't, uh, you, you can't share certain responsibilities. You really need to have one person that is in charge of certain things. Um, one of the things I found that I'm good at is dealing with contractors and keeping them on point, um, and going back to these two partnerships, we, you know, we didn't deal with any contractors. We, we were doing all the work ourselves. And again, with me being a little bit more experienced with the rehab work and whatnot, I was the one saying, you know, here's how you tile, here's how you do this and kind of teaching them along the way. Um, and it ended up being more work for me. And I felt like I was contributing more than that 50% mark and still only getting half of that return. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been there as well. I mean, that, that's why typically when I do a partnership nowadays, like my favorite kind of partnership are you lend the money, I'll handle everything else. Let's just keep it that way. It's just so yeah. much more simple, right? Because yeah, it is hard. And then you get like weird things like, you know, hey, I, I think I've been doing a little bit more work than you this month or or I did a little. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like you get a lot of uh, awkward, you know, discussions. Right, so right. it's just easier. It's easier you... One person does something, somebody else does something else. And it's easier to say, hey, you know, you're not living up to your end of the bargain. This was your task. It's clearly written out here in our documents and you didn't do it. And how can they argue with that? I mean, they might, but they hopefully won't. But you should, I mean, you should be putting time into this. You know, I think a lot of people do what you did, Michael, unfortunately. And they rush in, they say, hey, this is my buddy, you know. Well, you're going to, you know, we'll be 50, 50 partners. They'll write the, you know, some kind of corporate doc, but they don't really, really break down every possibility because maybe they don't have the experience to do so. And and, and so I, I want to encourage people, think about your business, where it's going to be today, where it's going to be tomorrow. Sit down and really break down every possible role that you can imagine the the two different people are going to do if it's not a deal, uh, not an arrangement like what Brandon does. And really write everything out, just brain dump for a day, you know, two days, a week, a month, whatever it takes until you guys have nothing left to dump, right? And then just start, you know, pointing lines and assigning roles to people. 
And I think that in itself is going to help protect you or obviously do what Brandon does and make it really simple. You give me the money, I'll do the work, done. Yeah. One of the things I see quite a bit on, uh, on BP is folks that, you know, commenting, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to partner with so-and-so. How do I, how do I structure this? And my first thought is just kind of like, Oh man, that's why are you asking complete strangers how to interact with somebody that you're going to be halfway, you know, you're going to be in bed with on this deal. Right. And so since those first two partnerships, I have partnered up with other folks and I'm involved in a very successful partnership right now. And what we did from the get-go is we sat down and we spent days talking about, you know, who does what, who brings what to the table, you know, contingency plans, what happens if you don't do what you're supposed to do? How do we handle that? And we outlined all that stuff up front and it's, you know, working phenomenally. We don't have those same qualms if, you know, if, if somebody's not holding up their end of the deal, like, oh, now I got to pick up the pieces. It's, oh, here, this is outlined. If, if you don't do X, then, you know, we hire somebody or you pay me more or whatever. And, we get it done. So nice. that's terrific advice. I mean, just spending the time needed to to structure that. I I love that. That's great. I said the same thing, but you didn't say you loved it when I did. What's up with that? I don't love anything you do. I'm sorry. You know, no. me, and, me and Michael, we're BFFs, and you are uh, on the outside. Oh, ouch! <laughs> oh, man, this, this is a tough one. Boxing match. Oh my. Well, Michael, let's let's move on to something else because you know clearly, I don't know. This isn't going well for me. Uh, let's talk about that living fourplex, you know, how'd you find it? Why'd you decide to, to do the living fourplex? You know, g- give us some information here. Sure. Sure. Um, so that property, uh, it, it was right about when I'd finished up the, the single family home that I was living in, bought to owner occupy. I had a friend from work and we, we both agreed, you know, Hey, we want to, we want to buy something. We want to rehab it. We want to make some money off of it. We might as well live there while we're doing it. That works great. So we, we started looking around. We looked at single family homes all over town. And one day my real estate agent said, you know, Hey, I got, I got this fourplex here. You know, you guys want to take a look at it? And we're like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's check it out. Uh, so we went and looked at it and started looking at some of the numbers and, and just primarily just the rental income. And, and we realized, you know, we don't, we don't have to do a thing to this place. We don't have to touch it. We don't even have to move into it. We can leave two of the four apartments vacant and it'll pay for itself. So anything we do from there is just gravy. So, um, you know, we, we did some deliberating, talked things over and we're like, let's go for it. Nice. Nice. Do you, do you remember how you financed it? Uh, yeah. So that was actually a challenge. Um, I think we went, we went to several commercial lenders initially. Um, we went to several conventional lenders. What we ultimately ended up doing was, um, getting a conventional loan on it. And actually, since I had not sold my primary residence yet, uh, my partner uh, actually got the loan on it and I had to gift them the money for the my half of the down payment to appease the bank and uh, make that work. Nice. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. You... You had talked about the your real estate agent pitched the fourplex to you. So, do you guys, uh, you you guys, get lots of deals from your agent? Do you have a very proactive agent who's out there kind of finding deals? Are are deals are these on market deals or are these kind of hey you know he knows everybody in the neighborhood and you know when somebody's about to list they hit him up and they're like hey John this thing's coming on soon. Great question. So. I'd say the majority of the properties, almost all the properties that I look at, um, come off of the MLS. Um, and, 
And one of the, a good tip for people getting started out there is to get, you know, actively monitor the MLS. And if you see something that's appealing, jump on it. Cause if it's a halfway decent deal, it's going to be gone in a couple of days. How, how does somebody who's not a real estate agent actively monitor the MLS? I mean, how do they do that? Um, so I get a daily feed from my agent. It's automated. She doesn't do a single thing. She just went in and set up the parameters. Um, so anytime a, a multifamily property in the areas that I'm interested in, uh, comes on the market, if a price changes, if it comes back on the market after a failed contract, um, or anything happens, I get an email notifying me immediately. And so I can reach out to her and say, Hey, let's go back and look at this thing. Okay. Yeah. I do the I do the same thing with my agent. Like, and and if you're if, you know people are listening to this uh, and they don't have that set up, just call your agent and find out if they can do that. N- almost every agent can do it, and if they can't, you know I don't know maybe you, you need, need a new agent. Find a new <laughs> agent. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's it's pretty standard. It's pretty standard stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean it, it helps you be quicker. I mean I wouldn't rely on just like Zillow or Trulia or one of them because they're good information, but they're not complete. They're not the MLS. So yeah, hey, and in terms of establishing that criteria. Yeah, you said multifamilies and in X Y Z area. What what is your criteria exactly? I mean, do you have any anything more specific than that? I mean, are there any kind of hey, we want stuff that has only you know three quarter showers or or baths? Yeah, or- I could I could probably talk for half an hour about what I what I like and don't like in properties. Um, some of the big things, and and these don't come into the into the automated email list. Um, but, but things that I typically look for, one is the area that does come into play in the, in the automated list. Um, I kind of identified early on areas that I'm comfortable investing in, comfortable uh, traveling to and, and comfortable having tenants in. Um, and once I identified that, I kind of got a bulk list of here's all the active properties. Over the years after owning property and looking at hundreds and hundreds of properties, I've identified some things that work for me personally. Um, I almost, I almost never look at a building if it's not separately metered, um, unless it's priced significantly low enough to where I could go in and redo the entire electric and separately meter it. I tend to shy away from anything that doesn't have central, uh, HVAC. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a fan at all of the window units. Um, to me, those just kind of scream dumpy apartment complex and my landlord doesn't care about the place. So, Every single one of my units has, uh, and that's nothing against you guys. If you got that, I know. Uh, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking at Brandon's reaction. <laughs> we don't, and, we don't and, have air, you know. We you don't just don't air. give them air conditioning, right? We don't yeah. have, we don't. I'm in the, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. It gets above like 75 degrees, like once a year. Yeah, they can suffer that one day a year. There <laughs> is, there is a bonus for having property in Podunk. They don't have to there worry is. about air conditioning. They don't have to worry about watering the grass or the plants. I mean, there, you know, it's, it's a paradise there when it's sunny the, the three days of the year. Four, Josh. Four. Okay, so sorry. Come on, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, all right, so. Um, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the, his his criteria. If you were paying oh, yeah, attention, yeah, 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 yeah. you might know that. I was but he's talking about the metering. Aging. It's got to have metering. He was talking about the air conditioning units and the windows, which you got kind of angry about. Are you trying, and, to, are you trying to prove something here? I you were prefer- listening. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right all so right. tell us more criteria. What what else is interesting to you, Mike? Um, so I definitely uh, most of the, my rental property is near a uh, uh, college campus, near the University of Louisville. Um, so I tend to look for things that are going to appeal to that college student, um, something that's easy to maintain. You know, I, I don't mind carpet in my units because over the years I've spent a lot of time getting to know uh, carpet installers and can get it pretty cheap. So built-in kegerators. Sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, built-in kegerators. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to, to screen those types of folks out, but, uh, good idea. but yeah, so anything that's going to hold up long-term, um, most of the, most of the apartments I buy, I tend to buy distressed and remodel. So I'm not too worried about what's in there today. Um, I'm more worried about the layout, the flow, um, you know, is this something that somebody's going to want to live in and is it close to the campus or close to where they want to be downtown? Talk about layouts. What What is it that catches your eye on a layout? What is something that you're going to say, no way, I got to get away from this thing? Sure. I'll give you an example. One building that I looked at, I think it had six or seven units in it. The front six units were awesome. I was walking through this place. I was like, man, this is, you know, this is looking pretty good. Um, it was off market, so I didn't know quite what the owner was looking for at this point, but I'd, I was working with a broker who, was, who had it as a pocket listing. And we got to that seventh unit, that secret back unit, and we walked through it and it had, I guess it was classified as a studio, but it, it was on two levels. The whole thing was probably about 10 foot by 15 foot um, with a staircase in there. So uh, two levels, wow, wow, wow. Um, 300 square feet, uh, the staircase you know, we walked in there and the guy kind of warned me. He's like, you know, you want to be careful. And I looked straight down and I mean, it was, it was almost a ladder leaning up against the, the wall. <laughs> and it was that steep. I mean, they had, they oh, had wood, nice. wood boards tacked up there. It was, it was stairs, but it just wasn't functional. I think the second floor was the, the bedroom. Um, and then the first floor had a, a partial kitchen and I can't even, it may not have even had a kitchen or it may not have had a bathroom, but I mean, it just was, it was a liability waiting to happen. So once I got to talking details with the, with the guy, I mean, hell I'll buy anything, you know, if the price is right, I can tear that thing down or fix it or do something with it. But you know, they wanted a, they wanted a price based on the 500 bucks a month that that was getting at that time. And to me, I, I would have just had to scrap the whole apartment and, and get rid of it. So uh, that's the kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. you know, you, I, I try to avoid anything that is going to be hard to rent. You know, if it's going to sit that apartment sure it has a tenant in it today, but when that guy leaves, you know, how hard is it going to be? You know, am I, am I going to have to wait six, eight, 10, 12 months to find the next person that's willing to deal with yeah. those crazy steps? Yeah. And that's, that's smart on your behalf. Just, I mean, a liability reasons, you know, something like that sounds like it could be pretty dangerous and, and B for, for, for exactly what you said, you know, it's something that you would think is going to need to be knocked out, right? You'll have to, you know, expand the other units and use that space. Well, if they're selling based upon rents, collected you're never going to come to a price on that right right yeah right on well have you had any other experiences with funny layouts like that there was one building uh it was a mixed-use building so the first floor was a is a restaurant very well-known restaurant um i actually went to the restaurant probably a week or two before the showing because i knew i was going to be going to look at this place awesome food awesome layout i was like man this you know i was getting real excited so i go meet the agent there we're walking through um, we walked through the restaurant, kind of looked around it was a little funky it was a, the, the storage space was a little tight, no big deal. Then we go up the second and third floor are residential units. So I think there were si a total of six apartments in the building on top of this restaurant. So we go, we, we go on the stairwell, beautiful stairwell. Most of the buildings I look at, let me, a little caveat are in a historic part of Louisville. So they're, you know, hundred plus years old. So there's all kinds of cool details, um, and we can talk more about that later, but the, the inside of the, the hallway, just awesome. So I'm walking in and I'm just like, I'm starting to get giddy. I'm like, this, this is going to be great. We get up to the second floor and, and go into the first apartment and it, it was, uh, very disturbing. So first of all, it was a bathroom with no, no door, no, no 
nothing. It was just a toilet sitting, you know, kind of in the back of the room. There was a sort of kitchen, but really it was just a mini fridge and a stove. Not, not really any cabinets. Uh, very strange. Uh, a bed and a dresser. And I kind of poked my head in it and I was like, what, you know, what the hell do you even do with this? You know, who's going to rent this out? So we kind of looked around a little bit more and it turned out it was more, it was the kind of place that some guy was keeping for, uh, for parties and, and stuff on the side. It wasn't his, he wasn't living there. Yeah. So I thought that's a little interesting, but whatever, you know, I'll, I'll let's see these other five units. So we go across the hall and I take that back. I think it was actually eight, eight apartments, not six. So we go across the hall and, and go in the door there. And three of the units, the other three units on that floor had all been merged into a, a speakeasy type bar, um, almost like an Elks Lodge. You know, I had this very, very like mahogany rich, musky old man type of feel to it. And uh, I'm walking through this and I'm like, you know, what, what do you do with this? Um, and I'm talking to the guy and I'm like, you know, this is kind of cool. I'm, I might, you know, come check it out on Friday night and see what's going on. But, I'm not, you know, what do I do when this guy decides he wants to, to hand in his keys and say, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I found a 23 year old bimbo that I'm, that, that's the love of my life. And, uh, you know, she's keeping me on the straight and narrow. So, you know, the, sure. The place was bringing in, uh, I think between the on that floor with those four units, I think the guy was paying two grand a month. He wanted to keep that arrangement and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I was looking not six months down the road. I was looking six years down the road or, or a couple of years down the road. What do you do when somebody, you know, you, you've got a tenant who's there who looks like he's going to be there for a while. He's paying numbers look great, but when he's gone, there's no, you know, it was an unlicensed bar, so to speak. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd have to completely gut the whole floor and redo it. So I was just like, you know, the, the building's great. I love it, but I'm not going to touch this. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And you know, that it's, it's again, it's the same situation, right? It, you could have renovated it. You could have kicked them out and cleaned up the units and done something nice with it. That would have cost you money. They were probably not going to list this price for uh, a discount because they had rents coming in. It was, it was in good condition. Right. And, uh, uh, so unless you can talk them down, right. I'm assuming if you were able to get them down by X amount, it would probably be worth your while though. Right. Right. So at some point, um, that deal, you know, I'd, I'd be all over it. And one of the things that happened in this deal is the, the broker that had showed it to me, you know, after he asked for feedback and kind of went back to the sellers, uh, he said, you know, they really want an offer. And I was like, well, you know, I don't, I don't, really think I, I need to make them an offer. It's going to be insulting. He's like, no, they're, they're, you know, they really want to sell. They want an offer. You know, they need to divest this property. So I was like, all right, let me, let me crunch some numbers and figure out what it's worth to me. And I made him an offer. It was pretty close to my highest and best. And it was about half of what they had it listed for. So got a very quick, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and that was that. So, and that property is still on the market today. I actually, this was probably about a year and a half ago. I was browsing some commercial real estate the other day and saw that it's still sitting there. Same Where's exact the price? price. Oh, same price. Same exact price. Yep. Yep. So, wow. so if anybody listening to the show wants a nice speakeasy, they can, you know, yeah. touch with you yeah. and you can let me know. I'll punch up. you in the right direction. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So, um, are you still work? I mean, are you working a full-time job or is this your full-time gig or, or what's your story? I do. I do work a full-time job. Um, I work in insurance, so I'm, I'm an actuary for the 90% of the listeners out there who have no idea what that is. 
primarily involved with uh, looking at st- claim statistics and pricing insurance. Um, so very, very unexciting. I've, I've decided yeah, I was gonna say that's fascinating. To, <laughs> to turn myself as a, you know, when, when people ask me what, what I do, I'm a real estate investor. Nice, nice, nice. So you went, you got into this multi, well, you didn't get into this multi, you're, you're looking at these, these multifamily properties. Is that really your bread and butter today? I mean, do you, do you really just like focusing on those types of deals? Yeah. So the last fix and flip I did, uh, I probably sold about a year and a half to two years ago. Uh, and, and that really turned me off to fix and flipping and, and turned me on to, uh, to apartments. Cause at that point I had probably about 10 to 15 units, uh, rental units, and they were more or less covering, uh, my holding costs on, on this fix and flip that just did not go as planned. What went wrong? You know, it, it it really wasn't that bad of a, of a deal and all for, you know, compared to some of the stories I've heard, the, the biggest challenge that I faced on the whole property was we, we finished an unfinished basement and uh, found a leak down there after the fact. So I had to, you know, rip out and, and refinish the, the basement, pay, you know, four or five grand to, uh, to have the basement sealed and, and get French drains put in and all that jazz. Um, so that was a big setback and that was, you know, after, um, after the property had been on the market for, uh, quite some time. So I, you know, I was already bleeding and, uh, I was like somebody come and came and cut my knees out at, under me. So it was just like, ah. So are you a totally out of the rehabbing business at this point? I mean, the flipping business. Out of flipping. Yes. Okay. Um, so now primarily what I look for are distressed, uh, rental, you know, mold multifamily properties that I can go in and, you know, use the same contractors, um, do a lot of the same things to these apartments, um, really spruce them up, but then, you know, go and either, depending on the financing situation, once they're completed, I get them rented out and either seek new financing or just hold on to them as is. Are you using the same agent or using multiple agents to help you find these different properties? I primarily use uh, one agent uh, who I was who I was introduced to pretty early on. Um, she helped me buy my first house. Uh, she she was recommended to me by another local investor. Um, and and over the years, I you know I've seen hundreds of properties with her. Um, really got to know her, but she's been instrumental in um, you know anybody can kind of show you properties and say yeah you should buy this or no you shouldn't or whatever. Um, but she's, she's also an investor herself. She's got several rental properties, um, in an area that I like to invest in. Um, so she knows contractors, she knows plumbers, she knows management companies, you know, she knows lenders, she knows the work. So it wasn't just, you know, I don't stick with her cause, cause she sends me that automatic, uh, listing update every day. Uh, I stick with her cause you know, over the years, she's really helped me grow from that, that green eyed guy who just wanted to go and you know, rip a house apart and put it back together to somebody who, you know, really wants to build a business and, and contract a lot of that work out that's involved in that. And a great yeah. agent can really mean the difference for, for a newer investor, can it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you turn to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and you don't know what you're doing, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And, and one of the things in my experience, um, over the years I've dealt with probably 10 different agents on my side and, and countless more, um, on, on the other side of the table. And one of the things that I would advise folks out there is to, um, really take what they're saying with a grain of salt and do your own research, you know, figure out, 
you know, just because they say that blowing out this this wall and throwing a deck on and putting sliders on is going to add ten thousand dollars worth of value to the property, you know, why do they think that? Is there anything that backs that up? You know, is there a comp down the street that has that that's worth ten grand more? Uh, and really research what they're telling you. Don't just don't just take them at their word. That's great yeah. advice. Great advice. Yeah, it is. Um, so. Uh, how are you financing these deals today? Like if you go and find a property today that you want to go buy, how would you put it together? It depends on the type of deal. So I recently just finished a, a triplex that I remodeled top to bottom, um, more or less a complete gut. That property I purchased with a hard money loan, um, which is the same lender that I've been working with for a lot of the rehab deals that I was doing. Um, I, I built a relationship with him. Uh, he doesn't typically like to loan on multifamily property, but he's worked with me enough to where he was willing to pull the trigger on some multis for me. I bought that property cheap enough and it needed so much work that going through uh, a conventional loan or commercial loan uh, just wasn't going to work out. So I partnered up with him on that or I say partnered. I took a loan from him on that, a very, uh, very high interest, uh, generous loan for him and remodeled the whole thing top to bottom. Then once I got it completely done, rented out, tenanted, I went to a commercial lender that I also got a relationship with and said, Hey, you know, look, I got this property. It's bringing in X. It's probably worth about this. How much can you loan on it? Um, I shopped that around to, to three or four local lenders that I've done loans with in the past um, and built a relationship with and kind of ended up pitting it between two of them and, and getting what I wanted out of it. That's nice. cool. That's cool. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of like the hard money to, you know, refinance later kind of strategy. I mean, it's a little bit dangerous in that, uh, I mean, for those people who don't know what a hard money lender is, it's, you know, obviously a person who lends at high interest rates and high fees and short term. Uh, and, but they can do lo- loans and they're not a bank, so they can do these loans that nobody else can do. And so I guess, what are some of the dangers? Maybe you can talk about that. What are the, some of the dangers of using a hard money lender? Because I mean, I, I like them, but they are dangerous. So why is that? Sure. So the biggest thing is holding costs, uh, at least in my experience. Um, you know, you're, you're borrowing a lot of money, in most cases, a good deal of money. Um, and, and you're paying upwards of 12%, you know, and some, I've, I've heard people paying 16, 18, 20% for, for this money. So you're really, the clock's always ticking on you. You know, you need to either, uh, I think you guys discussed it in a, in a previous podcast, but having, you know, three or, you know, as many exit strategies as you can, just having one plan isn't, isn't really going to work for you. If something yeah. happens and you're stuck with it, you can really find yourself in trouble. Well, so let's just say that real quick. Let's say you bought a property, this triplex, and you went to go get a loan from these people and they said, no, the bank said, you know, no, you got too many properties, too many loans. What would you do at that point? My plan B would probably be to sell the property, which would break my heart because it, it's such a great rental property. But with the amount of work that I put into it and uh, my equity position, because I, I did get a hard money loan, but I also sunk a lot of my own capital into it. Um, so I had plenty of a buffer there that if, you know, ultimately my goal was to cash out, refinance and recoup as much of my personal funds as possible uh, and pay off that hard money loan. But if that, if that didn't come to fruition, um, plan B was to to potentially sell the property. Um, plan C would be to, you know, call my dad, pull a note out of Brandon Turner's playbook and uh, yeah. say, say, Hey, you know, dad, I got this, I got this deal. I owe X on it. You want to, <laughs> you want to partner on it? We're and, not and all that lucky. 
Yeah. <laughs> Must be nice, guys. Must be nice. Well, the nice thing is you don't they don't need money to do that strategy. The, yeah, the person just true. needs to have good credit. So there's a lot of people out there who have good credit that you can partner with if you had to in an emergency like that. Nice. Right. Nice. And you do and, cover and, that. And and you're the, yeah, we talking about that in the podcast. A couple weeks ago, yeah. And in uh, your book, right? That we did. So yeah, yeah, if people want to know more about the hard money to refinance strategy, check it out in uh What's my book called again? The, uh, the book on investing in real estate <laughs> with no and low money down, which you can get at biggerpockets.com slash no money. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that could make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges, delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash BP. That's my1031pros.com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, 
You contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, I guess I'm, I, wa- I want to talk a little bit more about the hard money lenders, just uh, in terms of the no money down, you know, people talk about them. And, and, I, and I mentioned this in the book about it is possible to get a, a hard money lender to fund 100%, but it's very, very difficult and maybe not wise. Uh, so um, I guess what does your hard money lender require? What does yours require you to put down? Uh, so for a typical fix and flip, he's looking for 10% of the purchase price uh, down up front, and then he'll loan uh, up to 70% of the completed value. Okay. Uh, at the after repair value, and he does a, a full as is appraisal, appraisal, and a um, after repair value appraisal. He's got an appraiser that he works with, so this isn't like a typical bank where you know you you go and say you want a loan, they approve you, and then they call some random eight hundred number, and Joe Schmo goes and appraises it. Um, he's got an appraiser, one appraiser that he's been working with for years, who he trusts for valuation on property. Uh, so those those are the typical numbers that he requires. Now, when I got into, I've done a couple of multifamily deals with him, and um, he's required more upfront on those. I think he only loaned about eighty percent, but he did uh, throw in um, capital to help do the remodeling. So it's very appealing, um, you know, for for somebody like me. I may have enough money to to buy the place with a, a normal loan, but I may not have enough capital to really clean it up and make it what I want it to be. So having somebody that can uh, you know, lend that money short term and, and give me a bridge to get where I need to be is tremendously helpful. And you said he threw in that extra capital. Let's let's not confuse people. That was not a gift. Yeah, he just <laughs> showered. He showered me with the money. Uh, he he wrapped it up in a box, put a little bow on it. It was beautiful. Nice. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I I need some of those boxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, so Michael, I I'm just curious here. I mean, you're working a full time job. You're you're a number crunching actual actuarial individual. What's your plan? I mean, are you trying to, you know, do you have a goal of, hey, I want to buy X number of properties. I want to have enough property to be able to offset my actual uh, job income and, and just quit my job. Are you, you know, do you love your job and want to do that forever? And this is just another way to go vacation every, uh, you know, two weeks. I mean, what what are you doing here? That's a great question. So when I started out, my goal day one in my corporate job was to save up enough money so I could start flipping houses and, and get that, you know, start making six figures a year, uh, go on HGTV, have my own TV show, quit the corporate job and, you know, just be a star. As most people that get into flipping quickly realize there's, you know, it's not as glorious as, as they make it out to be on, uh, on the TV shows. You, you're not making as much money and you're not making it as quickly, um, as, as they like to make you think. So, over time, you know, as my investing has changed and and my job has changed, I've personally changed my focus. You know, my original plan was to to only be there as long as I had to be, um, and and now my goal is to really grow both my real estate business and grow in my professional career, and just wait until you know I get to that that crossroads where I where it, it makes perfect sense to say I got to get out of this out of this job. I'm making so much money in real estate or what am I doing messing with this real estate? I've got this great job. And at some point, you know, it's not clear to me today um, what the answer is there, but I do enjoy my job. 
Um, it, it offers me the flexibility to, you know, to, to invest in real estate, which I also love. So I, I know a lot of people come on the forums and say, oh, I, you know, I can't wait to quit my day job or I just quit my job and everybody's excited. Um, I, I really love what I do. And, and quite honestly, if I quit my job, uh, which I probably could at this point pretty easily, I'd be bored to tears. I, I don't know what I'd do all day. Well, and, and honestly, that's kind of what happened to me, right? Like I quit when I was 27 and I said, well, I don't have to work a job anymore. I got, you know, passive income, uh, you know, quote unquote, right? But I was still managing my own properties and I realized I was pretty bored and I didn't really like managing my properties that much. Like, you know, so I'd rather have my wife manage my properties and I'd rather do something else fun, which is why I'm here today on the podcast. So, you know, oh, I, I think... On the dirty am- work to your wife. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> she actually, she kind of likes doing it. I just, okay. I hate the phone. I hate the phone. Like people who know me, no, I hate answering my phone and talking on it. So that's, you got to do that as a property manager. Which, speaking of, do you manage your own properties, Michael? I do. I do. Good question. Um, and by the way, I never, never get phone calls. So you must be doing something wrong. <sighs> I'm doing something wrong. You're doing. <laughs> really? Wait, are you, are you kidding? You never get, get phone calls? Never. I've, I've probably gotten two phone calls from tenants this year. What do they do? Text you or what? I get a text message. I get an email. Uh, never get a phone call. Do you yeah. tell them to text or email you or that, that's uh, just what they do? So I, I kind of set the tone when I start interacting with them from the day that they, well, the apply, training, you know, the, yeah. So I, I kind of mentally train them that here's how you communicate with me. Um, when somebody reaches out to me uh, through Craigslist or postlets or, you know, hot pads or one of these other great sites, uh, by the way, if you're getting into rental property, you've got, got to use these sites. They're free. Um, and they just, you know, anybody's looking for an apartments out there, um, digging around on them. So take advantage of that. But, uh, w- when I get an email from somebody, you know, I, I, over the years, I've kind of learned to tweak how I handle it, but I ask for a set of things. And if, you know, if the person doesn't provide me answers to these five questions, I don't even, I don't waste my time on them. Um, and one what of are those thing- questions, um, one of them is uh, a phone number. So if you, if you can't give me your phone number, you know, why am I wasting my time with you? A second thing is, uh, I just recently started doing this, but asking why the person's interested in moving. Um, one of the things I've found is that, you know, folks will, folks will email you and say, Hey, you know, I really want to look at this apartment. Um, and, and I'll get through, you know, I'll show it, I'll get through the application process and then find out that, you know, they're, they're wanting to move because they can't afford their rent on their current place. That's $25 more. And it's like, well, you know, I could have nipped that in the bud right at the beginning. Another question I ask is when are you looking to move? Um, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, but you know, I've, I've got, I I don't anymore, but I used to get folks who, you know, would email me say, yo, this, this is the perfect apartment. You know, I love it. When can I see it? And we set up a showing. They're like, oh, this is it. This is the one. Uh, they go home, they get an application they send it to me and, uh, and they say, oh yeah, I want to start in four months. I'm like, yep. well, just wasted all that time for nothing. Cause yep. this is going to be gone before that. Um, so those are, those are some of the questions I ask. And, and I also ask how many people are, uh, how many people will be living in the apartment? Cause, uh, most of my apartments are one or two bedrooms. Um, and I've had people, I've had like groups of three or four people, um, interested in renting out a one bedroom apartment. And I, you know, I don't even, I don't even want to waste my time going to, to show that cause it's not going to happen. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. I mean, that is so important to the pre-screening cause you'll drive yourself crazy if you go out and show a unit to every tenant who calls you. I mean like the vast majority will never qualify anyway. So the more you can do up front, uh, to disqualify them and, you know, only show it to people who are, you know, 
who are probably going to work out. I mean, I do a lot of group showings. Like last Saturday I had, uh, you know, typically I don't do it anymore. My wife does, but there's this one property that I'm taking full responsibility of because it's a <laughs> long story. It's my best friend's house. Anyway, yeah. So I, I scheduled six showings all for the exact same time for 10 o'clock. Guess how many showed up? One. Three? One. One, <laughs> one out of six showed up for their appointment. I mean, these people are all excited about it. They'd all seen the house. They'd driven by. They'd all wanted to see it. One out of six. So had I made six appointments, I would have wasted six hours or five hours of time to do that. So that's why I always recommend, yeah, do the screen ahead of time and, uh, you know, do group showings. And Good advice. It, yeah. Yeah. To that same point, I just started using a, a showing agent, um, you know, a real estate agent who's looking for some additional uh, work on the side and looking to get into investing. And, and we kind of figured out, you know, hey, this is a great opportunity. Um, but one of the things that she, she kind of suggested was doing group showings. Um, and, and she really loves the additional safety you know, if you, yeah. you, you probably don't care so much, Brandon, cause he's no. going to want to, he's going to want to mess with the crazy I'll old fight cat him. guy. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just call him a crazy cat guy? I love that. <laughs> I love that. You can be my guest host anytime you want. <laughs> but yeah, so, so for her, I mean, she, she loves the added safety. You know, if you've got four or five people showing up for a showing, you, you know, Craigslist can, can be sketchy and you always hear that random story of, you know, this, that, or the other happened through Craigslist. But, uh, when you know that there's going to be five people showing up to look at that apartment, you're not, you're not worried about that one crazy person. Cause and nobody's also the, and the competitive nature of people. Like I'm going to get yeah. this house before that, you know, that lady's ugly. I'm going to get it before her. Like they get in this like, like bitey little, like angry, like, I don't like that person over there. And like, they want to get the apartment above that person. They'll like talk behind their back and like, it's, it's fun. I have, I have a good time with that. Do you, do you talk with them behind the other person's back? Is of course that- I do. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's terrible. And I go, oh, around, like, stop it. Oh, stop it. Come <laughs> okay, on. I don't do that. No, but they do. They get really bitey at each other. Like I'm or not at each other, but like, like when one goes in the room, they're just like, yeah, you know, like those are like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, what's the worst they've ever said it is things like, uh, yeah, I think they've got a dog or something like that. Like just like dropping these little things to just, you know, you shouldn't rent to them. You should rent to us. Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. It's, I, I got low income tenants though. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, Michael, let's, let's get back to something real here. Not, not Brandon's stories <laughs> that nobody cares about. Uh, t- yeah, tell okay. me about this showing agent. You talked about a showing agent. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's an agent that shows, right? But how do how do you work that out? I mean, they're not getting a commission, so are you paying them on a per showing basis? And how do you find somebody? I mean, this one kind of fell in your lap, obviously. But uh, tell tell us more about that. Yeah. So, um, like one of the things as I'm growing, I really wanted to get, you know, kind of hand off some of the responsibilities that are involved with. Uh, rental properties and showing the units is a big one. Um, this, like you mentioned, this one kind of fell in my lap. Um, I had met with somebody um, who I met through Bigger Pockets. Uh, ding, ding, ding. It's a good site. Good re- site. Reach out and uh, and connect with people. But I had met with her, and really there was no um, intent behind the meeting other than just saying, "Hey, you know, get to know each other." Um, here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what you're doing, whatever. Um, but as we got to talking, you know, we got into a little bit more and she, you know, we just kind of discovered this mutual, uh, arrangement that would work great for both of us. And, um, we didn't iron anything out at that time, but I kind of left and and thought about a little bit more and she thought about a little bit more. And, uh, we did come to a, a per showing payment arrangement. Um, so, 
and, and that's also one of the things that drove drove me into group showings is because you know if, if she's only there for an hour if i get six people yeah. in there or one person it's still going to be uh the one showing fee so that's kind of how our arrangement works and, and it's worked great so far uh no complaints there um i i don't have any advice for somebody who's who's who doesn't have this arrangement and is looking to go out and find it other than um you know connect with people whether it be through bigger pockets or your local ria meeting and and you know, eventually you're going to come across somebody. I mean, heck, if you would have found me five years ago, I would have been that guy that would be like, oh, you, you'll let me show an, an apartment for you and you'll throw 20 bucks my way. Yeah. Tell, just tell me yeah. when and where I'll do it. So, so you only people, pay her 20 bucks. Wow. I, I, I pay her 20 bucks. Yeah. Wow. Is that, is that unreasonable? Or? Um, I don't know. I'm just, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot of money. It sounds cheap to me. I mean, you I should would, you should pay her more. Like you said, five years ago, I would have hands down done that for twenty I'm, bucks. I'm just busting your chops, man. And I agree, I would have done the same thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. I think no, it's awesome. Sorry, right. it's, uh, I'm made moving you on. uncomfortable. No, I'm moving on. Stop <laughs> it. I'm I'm gonna have to tell her not to listen to this. <laughs> she's she's gonna come back to me and say, "Hey, uh, I want forty-five. Yeah. And say, well, Josh has your other twenty-five. I got so. her back, and I <laughs> I want a commission. I want my check. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, no, no. All right, Brandon, I know you want right. to You want to move on to something, don't you? Yeah, yeah I'm going to move on to the world famous. It's time for the fire round. The fire round. Uh, these questions come ripped out of the headlines of the Bigger Pockets forums. Number one, what is your best advice for finding a top-of-the-line property manager. Now, I know you manage your own properties, but this was a question, so I want to throw it at you. Do you have any good tips do you think people should on finding a property manager? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've actually screen, you know, screened slash spoke with many property managers in the area. I've bought property that was managed by property managers. Um, so, And I know several in the area. So one of the things I would suggest doing is talking to the person that's in charge, You know, finding out what kind of response times they have. Um, one of the things that I found was, was lacking in the people that I talked to was, you know, they, they kind of prioritize, you know, if they have 800 units they're managing, your 15 units probably, you know, they fall somewhere in there. Sure, they're going to tell you that this is the most important property that we have. But, um, you know, come armed with an example and say, you know, hey, if I, if I text you or call you or whatever and I've got a tenant who, um, has a light bulb burnt out in their kitchen, how long, you know, what's your turnaround time on that? And, and, you know, they might, they might tell you it's a day or, or four days or whatever. Um, but you know, when you ask for second thing is ask for references. Um, and, and if you get a reference, call that person and, and ask them the same question, you know, if, if a light bulb's burnt out, how long does it take so-and-so management company to, to get over there and replace it? Um, cause those are the little things that, you know, they're not going to make or break your, your bank, you know, you'll get paid the same amount of money every month, but the tenants are, they're going to see that and they're going to be like, well, this person doesn't care about the property, you know, so now nah, I don't really care about the property or I don't want to stay here or whatever. Um, so that's a big one. Um, and then I'd, I'd also strongly recommend finding somebody who, uh, also invests in property themselves. Um, a lot of the property management companies I know of in Louisville are, uh, you know, probably about 50, 50, half of them are, um, owner investors where they you know, they're in the business, they know what they're doing. They're in the same shoes as you. And the other half are just folks that either didn't, you know, either saw an opportunity for making money in real estate without having any money or, you know, whatever, but they don't, they don't know what it's like to be the owner, to be paying those bills, to, 
you know, have that trouble tenant or the eviction. So somebody that, that knows what you're dealing with, um, would really make a huge difference. That's nice. great. Great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think there's some, some argument from, from investors about all those criteria too. I mean, I know that, you know, when I first started looking for managers, I wanted somebody who managed a lot of units. And I found that the ones who managed a lot of units were putting their units before my unit. And, and, you know, I even heard from tenants that I had like, yeah, you know, we're trying to move our friend in and we told them we want to get them in our building and they try and push them to other properties that turned out to be properties that they owned. And, and that's kind of one of the dangers that you face. And, I, I still to this day I don't know I don't know how to get past that but I think it's the references and and you know calling trying to find references of references maybe because you know can, you're only going to give good references. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Josh. Can I uh, revise my answer real quick? Sure. So uh, my new answer is is what I'm currently trying to do: uh, build up enough property to where you can hire somebody to work for you. Yeah. And then then you control you know, what happens if you want to fire them or if they're not doing something right, yeah. you can, they answer to you and you only. Yeah. I think yep. that's good advice. Yeah. I think it's, and, and that right. comes in time. And the question is how many doors is that? And, and I think that's different for, for everybody, but, um, all right. So do rules like, well, the rules of thumb, like the 50% rule and the 70% rule, do those still hold true in today's market? Um, well, I, I never really bought into any particular rules. Um, I, I actually got into investing before uh, I discovered bigger pockets and, and come across some of the rules after um, I had already kind of developed my own rules. So yeah. um, for me, I, you know, the rules that, that I created um, are specific to not, not to Louisville, Kentucky, they're specific to old Louisville or the Highlands are very, you know, very market specific um, and they're geared towards the the property that I'm interested in. So um, my advice would be to, to kind of have an idea going in what you want to get out of it, but come up with your own criteria. Um, and, and if you need to adjust that criteria as the market changes, um, be very careful about doing so because, uh, I, I think that's a key indicator that things are either overpriced or uh, it'd be a good time to sell. If you're not finding any deals that meet your criteria, maybe it's time to unload some properties and wait until, uh, until something good comes on. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and you know, the quote rule thing, you know, again, those are guidelines. We didn't come up with them. They're not, they're not mine. I, I'm not invested. <laughs> I'm not invested in them. It's, you know, people in the community have come up with them and, and generically they, they tend to be, be a fairly true, um, for, for, for certain, certain situations, right? I mean, it's not going to work for everybody, but I, I really like what you said, which is, you know, get out there, maybe, you know, whether it's those rules or, or some other rule that you might have, you know, adjust them for what works for you in your particular market, in your particular strategy, in your particular niche, figure it out, narrow down your criteria and establish that, make that your rule. And now, that's what you use going forward. Every time the agent sends you something, every time the mailers go out and somebody calls you, whatever it is, you've got your rules. Don't shift them. Don't budge them. You know, because if you start to, oh, but this feels really good. It's really close. But, you know, that's a really good way to get yourself in trouble, I think. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Next question. What is your opinion on buying out of state rentals? That's a very great question. So I recently just moved out of state. Um, so I'm now actually a, 
out-of-state landlord. Interesting. Um, moved down to Southwest Florida and have been down here for a couple months. Um, my my current plan is c- to continue purchasing property out-of-state now, which would be Louisville. Um, as as somebody who didn't start that way or, or doesn't plan at this point, you know, eventually I plan to purchase property in other areas. But um, I, I would suggest that you really probably want to go and, and know the area that you're looking to buy property in. If, if uh, somebody throws out a deal on the, the bigger pockets marketplace saying, Hey, I've got this, this eight plex in, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, it's, it's great cash flow. It's a cash hog. And you're looking to invest in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, but you've never been there. Um, how do you know that the property is in a decent area that it's going to rent well, um, that it fits your criteria? So, I, my suggestion would be to go and and know where you're investing, um, and then after you get comfortable and know where you want to buy stuff, find folks on the ground that can be on your team and on your side, um, whether it's a realtor or some contractors or whatever, and uh, make sure you're on the same page with them and really utilize them uh, for what you're trying to do. Nice, nice. I was on mute. I couldn't, you know. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, last show, podcast show 93 with Eric Stark, it was he, similar similar thing. He was in Detroit and he moved to uh, Florida Southwest as well. Florida, yeah. Yeah. Where in Florida are you? It's, it's great down here. I'm in yeah. the Fort Myers area. Okay. Yeah. He was in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. yeah. Can and I have he, a barbecue at your house as well? I just asked absolutely. him if I could have one. Okay. I'm coming yeah, over come on both down. your houses. Come on but down. I have two barbecues two days in a row. Well, and the interesting thing was he also invests back at home in Detroit while he's in Florida. So it's it's kind of cool that you guys are both doing the, the similar strategy there. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So what would you do if a tenant asked for a three week extension on the rent? Say no. But uh, you know, my my aunt is really sick and I gotta travel and and I, I just can't do it right now. So I got I, I was in this situation very very early on. Um thankfully I, I I'm grateful for it, but uh, I had that tenant that was three weeks late every month, um, and, and I I was a huge pushover. I mean, I you know I I let them do work on a property I was remodeling. I you know I I was I anything you could think of that would be the wrong thing to do, I did it, and, and I boy did I learn my lesson from that. Um, and so going forward, I, I set the rules in stone. You know, if somebody's late, um, typically now, you know, I receive all my rent electronically. Um, so I don't get the excuse of, oh yeah, it's in the mail or what do you use for that? Uh, great question. So I use, um, three different sources. I I give the tenants an option, whatever they prefer, but I use primarily Intuit payment networks, which charges, uh, 50 cents per transaction. Uh, and I, I just eat that cost. I don't, charge it back to the tenants. Um, the other options I, I work with are Google wallet. Um, I just started using that, uh, three or four months ago and that's been working out great. Um, and, and then the other one, uh, some folks, if the tenant banks with chase, um, I like to use chase quick pay cause that also works very well. Nice. The last two options are free, cool. which is even better. Definitely. Definitely. So you derailed my train of thought. I forgot where I was going with that. Yeah, we were what talking about- was the original about, question? Uh, it was about a tenant for extension. three-week extension. And you said, yeah. no, I don't do it. Yeah. Absolutely not. So, you know, move on to the so, next question. So Yeah, but with electronic rent, I know, you know, the day day of, you know, is it there or not? There's yeah. no 
no question about, is it in the mail or, oh, I forgot to stop by the office or whatever. I know either I have it or I don't. Um, Typically what I do is I, with all my tenants, I'll text them. You know, I I very rarely have anybody that's late, but if I do, I'll text them and say, hey, um, you know, I didn't receive your rent for whatever month for October. And, you know, they'll get back to me within a day and say, oh yeah, you know, I forgot or I don't get paid paid till Friday. And I say, all right, well, you know, here's add the late fee on there and I'll, you know, if it's with uh, Intuit Payment Networks, I'll um, cancel the the request for that payment and I'll add the late fee on there. But that's, that's a huge thing you got to do is stick to those late fees. Um, sometimes what I'll often do is I'll, I'll cater to my soft side and, and give somebody a break if it's their first time and I'll charge them half the late fee. But I, I very rarely, if ever anymore, don't charge a late fee if I don't have that rent when it's due. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Uh, I do. I'm, we're very similar. So it's good. Uh, great minds think alike. All right. Uh, moving on to the world famous. Famous four. Famous four. These questions we ask everyone. So let's hear them from you. Uh, you listen to the podcast. You know what's coming. Number one, what is your favorite real estate book? Favorite real estate book? Um, I tried to think of something that wasn't uh, overly mentioned. Uh, but one thing I often tell folks to buy uh, on bigger pockets, and I have no affiliation with it, is uh, Commercial Mortgages 101. Um, and that's by Michael Reinhard. Um, I, I kind of stumbled apro- across that book when I was trying to refinance a sixplex. Um, and, and that was kind of when I figured out, oh crap, I can't get conventional financing on this thing. Uh, and it really just opened opened my mind up to the world of commercial financing, which um, if you if you want to get into buy and hold uh, at some point, you're you're almost going to have to um, understand how that world works. So that that book covers it in detail. Nice, great. Nice. I had not heard of that one. So nope. cool. All right, and that's not one of our books. I think Michael was just saying he mentions it to people on the site. So just to clarify. Okay, moving on. Favorite? What is your favorite business book? Uh, I tried to do the same thing and, and come up with something that wasn't uh, overly mentioned, but I really got to lean on the Four Hour Workweek. Um, tremendous, tremendous book. It it really uh, kind of forced me to think about how to simplify things instead of overcomplicating them. Nice. Yep. There you go. There you go. What about hobbies? What do you do for fun? I love wakeboarding. Been into that for about ten years now. Uh, part of the reason why I moved moved down to Florida. Yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> I'd like to do it for more than uh, two months out of the year. Um, can we go wakeboarding when I come down for the- Oh uh, my God, barbecue? seriously? Dude, we, stop. We can do that. We can do that, yeah. <laughs> See, I just got an invite. You didn't, Josh. Yeah. See, that's- I mean, Josh can get Yeah, but, but here's, here's like, Michael's oh. going to quietly send me an email. Hey, Josh, anytime you want to come down, come down. Whereas you like kind of make it so they can't say no. no and I'm, then they I'm feel awkward about it. it. It's One I'm like Michael Quarles of- of barbecues. You're the Michael Quarles of in your face, making people feel awkward. (laughs) Josh, one of the things with living in Florida is you don't have to uh, invite people to come visit you. So we'll come anyway. Sadly, I'm probably not going to send you that email. So if you want to come, you got to ask, man. Wow. Okay. All right. Or you can show up. I don't care. I think I'll just show up. (laughs) I'm showing up. Nice. All right. Hobbies. knows where I live. So <laughs> that's a scary thought. Because <laughs> I'm outside your window right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We got to end this thing. We're kidding. Ah, I'm losing it. All right. Number, last question of the famous four. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or quit, or never get started, or freak out, or pass out, or whatever? Ooh, you got it out. Uh, nice. I, 
I think the biggest thing's probably persistence. I, I was going to say passion. You know, you really got to love what you do, but there's plenty of successful folks that aren't really passionate about real estate. So I, I kind of changed my mind and went with persistence. Um, if you're, you know, I don't know a single real estate investor that hasn't come across a situation that was difficult or costly or they lost money on and, and you got to be able to pick yourself up, up, dust your shoulders off and uh, stick with it. Nice. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Mike, it's been a pleasure, man. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, well, you can reach out to me on Through Bigger Pockets. I'm always on there. Um, always. Or, always. Seven. <laughs> yes. I, I don't sleep. Um, I live, eat, and breathe <laughs> Bigger Pockets. So He, he does. Uh, you, I, I could testify to that. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. You can, you can check me out on there. Um, I also have a website that is primarily just to showcase some of the the work that I've done. Uh, and that's www.renovate.com. Uh, like innovate with an R in front of it, uh, followed by ky.com. So www.renovateky.com. Nice. Clever. Awesome. I like it. Awesome. All right, guys. Show 94 of the Bigger Pockets podcast, biggerpockets.com slash show 94. You can find the show notes. Link up with Michael there. If you've got questions about the show, definitely link up with him there in the show notes. Otherwise, reach out to him on uh, on the site and at his website. Uh, beyond that, thanks so much. We really appreciate having you come on board. And obviously, we love having you as a member of the community. Uh, for Absolutely. Those, thanks, thanks. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure being on. And uh, Brandon, I'll see you in a couple months. When, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd be <laughs> careful. You might want to turn that um, it invite It might be sooner back. than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, otherwise, guys, besides the fact that my co-host is creepy... <laughs> This is the Bigger Pockets podcast. If you are not active on Bigger Pockets, you're missing out opportunities to hang out with crazy guys like Brandon Turner and very, very nice guys like Mr. Michael S. Sikirka. I can't say it. Sikirka. 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 Michael Sikirka. Michael Sikirka. Michael, thank you again. And, And guys, if you're not already doing so, please... Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, G+, all the other social networks. We post and share lots of cool stuff there. And uh, really want to thank everybody for their time, for listening. And you know, be active, get involved in, in our community, get out there, do deals, make things happen, and ask questions if you need help. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. 
So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.